So I don't know whether to go faster or slower, depending on what we have with the power here right now. So we'll just kind of keep it right down the middle. Uh, We're in Luke chapter 12 still, and uh, that is on page 1035 if you're using the black Bibles that are provided for you. Uh, By way of introduction, I suppose this is just sort of a... Well, what would I call this? The pastor's pedantic pet peeve pedestal. Uh, there are two words in the English language that somehow get used interchangeably that mean almost the opposite of one another. And it doesn't just happen, you know, among like middle schoolers. Like it happens so often that we, many of us don't even know that they are different words. Uh, journalists do it, authors do it, public speakers do it all the time. And these are anxious and eager. When you are eager, you are looking forward to an event with gladness and hope. You are eager. Uh, When you are anxious... You are still looking forward to an event, but with trepidation and anxiety. See, that's how you can remember. Anxious, anxiety. Again, this is just a pet peeve of mine. Um, So like when you're going on vacation, you might be eager. If that vacation includes extended family, you might be anxious. Uh, So now you know those. Jesus never, ever tells you, don't be eager. That's another way to remember. There's nowhere in Scripture that says, don't be eager. But Jesus does tell us, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Uh, Three weeks ago, when we were in Luke 12, we were looking at uh, the crowds that were surrounding Jesus and, and his disciples and a, and a man in the crowd shouts out to Jesus, uh, tell, my, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus' response is to give a warning. He says, be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. And then he tells the parable of the rich, uh, the rich fool. You know, and we read that and we wonder, I wonder if that was for the brother? Was it for the brother who was being selfish and not sharing? Was that for the brother who was wanting the brother to share? What was that? Who? Maybe it was for both. Maybe it was for neither. And in that passage, we can see, like, we, it's, it's easy to see covetousness. But Jesus doesn't say, beware of some kinds of covetousness. He says, beware of all kinds of of covetousness. There are many ways to be covetous. There are many ways to be focused on stuff. And as we saw in that passage, you can be a fool toward possessions and worry over bigger barns and more money. But you can also be a fool toward possessions and worry over smaller stashes and less leftovers. You can worry over where to keep all your stuff, and you can worry over whether you have enough. And this 
next section, he addresses not worrying over too much, but what do we do with our worries or our anxieties when it's over what we don't have, what we may never have, what we might lose. So let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 22. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The grass withers, the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. So it's interesting here, before we even get into the outline, Jesus himself, this isn't even Luke, Jesus himself says, therefore... Speaking to his disciples, so he was giving the rich fool parable to the whole crowd, but now he turns to his disciples and says, therefore, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus sees this concern with overabundance as being equal to, or at least a part of the same concern for when you have an underabundance, when you have a lack. He sees these as, as very similar. Both are these worrisome issues. Both, uh, out of both, he, he gives these instructions and these warnings. Jesus uses three negative verbs through this passage. He says, don't be anxious in verse 22. He says, don't be worried in verse 29. 
And he says, don't be afraid. In verse 32. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Uh, In verse 29, it's not exactly the same word that he uses in, in this passage or even in a previous passage where he's talking about being anxious. Uh, in fact, this word that he uses in verse 29 is this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word shows up. And so it's hard to kind of go to other places in the New Testament and get context for what this word means about being worried. But it's it sort of used outside of Scripture in sort of nautical terms of being uh, tossed about on the waves. And that's a good kind of word picture of what it feels like to be worried, isn't it? Where like we're just, we're raised and lowered, we're up and down, like there's a pit in your stomach that just, it's almost like a roller coaster when we're worried. There's just things that we just, we, we have, there, there's so many unknowns. And I've talked about this before. It's a, this is a, a simple way that, that pastor uh, and author Timothy Keller puts it. Uh, we, we worry because we think we know how things are supposed to go and we're not sure God got the memo. Like we know how it's supposed to turn out and we're just not sure God's on the same page. And then he describes bitterness as the opposite. We know how things should have turned out and God messed up. But worry is always looking toward the future. Um, if you, uh, kids, if your parents or your teachers make you mess with Venn diagrams, so you remember the Venn diagrams with the overlapping circles and stuff, so if you draw a big circle on your, your bulletin and you write on it all the things you're worried about, and then inside that circle, just put a dot. And draw a line to that, because you won't be able to write inside the dot, right, all the things you have control over. Do you ever notice that? Like the things we worry about, like we have zero control over. Like it's a little thing, you know, the rain coming down, but, you know, maybe... You know, maybe you're worried about, oh, we were going to have a potluck outside. It was going to be beautiful, nice spring day. And you're worried about the weather all day yesterday because it looked like it was going to be nice and yesterday was nice. But worrying about the rain neither brought nor stopped the rain. All of the things we worry about, we have almost no control over. We're in a different place than, than even his instructions to his disciples in, in this original context because how many of us actually worry about our next meal? Like how many of you worry about what you're going to eat? I mean, I'm worried about whether there will be enough bacon when I get through the line. And so, I mean, there's those things. But like we don't have those kind of worries. I mean, the most we worry about with our clothing is when it comes to, you know, maybe going to church on Sunday, it's like, do I, so do I look casual, or come as you are, or do I look, this is God we're worshiping, I should put on my best, 
You know, it's funny how both those crowds stand in front of the closet for the exact same amount of time. Like, what's the best thing I could wear? What's the most casual thing I could wear that looks like I didn't put any effort into it? And so we worry in that way about what we should wear. But there's plenty of other things that we worry about, and it's because our worry basically is, does God care? Does God see? Will God do anything? And Jesus, even though there's these three negative words, don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be afraid, he gives three positive reasons for it. Uh, First, uh, he speaks of value. He does this value comparison in creation. And then he speaks of relationship, which is really the focus of why you need not worry relationship. And then he speaks of treasure. So first in the value, talking about dirty birds and fire starters. Jesus points to creation to remind us of our value. You know, Paul tells us in Romans 1 that that God's invisible attributes, his, his eternal power and his divine nature can be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in all the things that have been made. So we have no excuse. And we look at that and we think, oh, that's talking about God's majesty, God's creativity, God's, like, all these, like, his, his, divine, his, his divine nature. Jesus says, yes, part of God's divine nature is he cares. Just look at creation, and you see that God cares. He says, look at the ravens, not the Baltimore ravens. Even God hates them, by the way. (laughs) But the ravens in the sky, uh, the ravens are an unclean bird. In Deuteronomy 14, they are, uh, they're unclean, so that you don't get to eat ravens. But worse than that, in Leviticus 11, ravens are called detestable birds. They're disgusting, they're filthy, they're untouchable birds. So here's this detestable, inedible bird that God provides for every day. And he's not saying the birds don't work, because he's not saying, now you shouldn't work. You should just go home and rest, and God will bring food to you. No, Birds work, they just don't worry, they don't store, they don't save for a rainy day. Actually, it's the rainy day that that feeds the birds. When I was driving here this morning, there was a crow in the middle of the street, and there wasn't roadkill there. Like This crow was just drinking out of this giant puddle in the middle of the street. God provides for filthy crows water and sustenance. The roadkill, do you ever think about it? The roadkill... God uses to provide for the ravens. I, one author was pointing out that, you know, the next time you drive past a dead possum or a dead squirrel, the whole, the whole car should break out into great is thy faithfulness. Because as you realize, look at how God provides for the vultures and the ravens, the filthiest of birds, birds you would never want your son to bring home. And yet God provides for them. God is faithful to dirty birds, don't you think he would be faithful to you? 
In fact, we misread that portion as a question, the application there. Jesus doesn't ask a question. It's a statement, an emphatic statement of how much more value are you than birds? You have more value to God than birds. And if he's caring for them, he cares about you. Now, he breaks out from his explanation of worrying about food to just talk about anxiety itself in verses 25 to 26. He says, which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So literally, he says, which of you can add a cubit to his span? And so sometimes it gets translated as, which of you can add a cubit to your height? Now, a cubit, by worrying, that is. Now, a cubit is about 18 inches. It's from your, shoulder, from your elbow to your hand. So, like, it was a way to measure for building. So some cubits are longer than others. Some cubits are shorter than others. But it's about 18 inches. Now, that would not be a very small thing if, by worrying, you could add 18 inches to your height. That would be a pretty phenomenal thing. You'd be like, Wow! I'm going to worry a lot more. No, it's, it makes more sense that he's talking about your span as in your lifespan. And if our, if our lifespan is, is, is measured in steps, in a journey that we take, well, the average step is about 25 to 30 inches. Now, some steps are longer than others and some steps are shorter than others. But on average, a step is right in that range, which means a cubit is a, just over a half of a step, not even a full step. And he says, now, how many of you, by worrying, could lay out your life steps and at the very end, because of your worry, add a half step? He's like, you, you can't. Like, your worrying is not going to have any impact on that. In fact, if anything, the doctors tell us that it'll shorten. You'll have a few less steps the more we worry. But he says, if you can't even do that, like why, why are we so anxious about these other things? And then Jesus adds a second lesson from nature, the wildflowers. They don't toil. They don't spin. And yet, not even Solomon looked as beautiful as the wildflowers growing in the fields. You ever seen like, un, like untouched, uncut, like unruined fields, like where the grass keeps growing and growing and eventually all the grass starts to flower? And like I remember uh, when I lived in Baltimore, friends, this was... They didn't live in anywhere where there was an HOA. They just roped off an area of their yard one summer just to let it grow, just so that, they, so that she could have wildflowers to pick and decorate her house with. And it's just weeds. I mean, the difference between flowers and weeds is the flowers God put there or the weeds God put there, and the flowers you sat there and toiled and worked over and over and over to try to get something to grow. But 
We consider them weeds because God made them grow and we didn't have any put, anything to put into it. But these, these weeds, these, these wildflowers that grow and they're beautiful one day and then the very next day they're cut and thrown into the oven as fire starter. They're used as the, the kindling to get the day's ovens started. And yet God gives them such beauty, this kindling. And again, he doesn't ask a question. He just, it's this statement. How much more will God clothe you? Jesus says here that when we worry, we show that we're really not any different from the world. Does I mean the world worries about these things? All these false religions and non-religions, they're very worried. They should be worried. He says, when we, when we worry, we look much more like the world than like the people of God. Jesus says, you don't need to ask, you don't need to seek after these things. Why? Why? What does he say? Why do you not need to seek after these things? He says, well, because God knows that you need them. Now, is that what Jesus says? God knows that you need them? No. I mean, nearly, but no. What Jesus says is, your Father knows that you need them. The reason we can rest is because of our relationship with God. The reason we don't need to worry is because your Father loves you. See, God is creator and provider for ravens. And God is creator and tailor to the wildflowers. But God is creator and father to you and me. Twice, Jesus says, your father. He doesn't even say my father. He doesn't say my father knows that you need these things. He says your father knows that you need them. He doesn't say, it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Uh, Pastor and counselor Paul Tripp, this past Wednesday, wrote about how our relationship with God as Father helps us in our worries. He points out, he says, uh, when your children were young, when our children were young with little understanding of life and its dangers, I would have to say no or not yet to them, even though I knew they didn't have the capacity to understand why. They would be understandably upset and ask, Daddy, why? And so I would say, Daddy, would love to help you to understand why, but even if I told you why, you still would not understand. And so to try to ease their confusion and frustration, I would ask them more question. Does your daddy love you? Does your daddy want good things for you? Does your daddy want to keep you safe? 
And they would sometimes begrudgingly say yes, which allowed me to say, then trust your daddy. Walk down the hallway and say to yourself, I don't know why my daddy said no to me, but I do know my daddy loves me and he wants good for me. Your father loves you. You can trust your father. Your father wants to give you the very kingdom of God. So much so that he sent his son to die in order to usher that in. Your father delights in you. It's interesting that, you know, Jesus' application is, I mean, if, if we grasped this, like, you, you could sell your stuff and use it to provide for those who don't have because you realize, like, it's my Father's pleasure to give me the kingdom. It's not that He says, seek the kingdom, as in, like, it's up to you now, so you're worrying about these things. Well, stop it. Seek the kingdom. He says, no, seek the kingdom. Oh, by the way, it's your Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. It's like He's, he's hiding it so that He can reveal it to you. He's, he wants to give you the kingdom. He's not keeping it from you. He wants to give you Himself. He says, you want a treasure that's, that's in heaven that can't be touched by, by age or failure or theft or deterioration. Like all the things we worry about on earth, like they're all so fleeting. I mean, children grow up and move out. Health deteriorates. Loved ones die or leave. All the things of earth that we're so consumed with can be stolen or broken or die. Jesus says there is a treasure available that, that neither moth nor rust nor thief or nothing can affect it. In 1 Peter, Peter says, I think Peter was definitely listening here because Peter says in 1 Peter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The inheritance, the treasure we have in Christ in heaven is imperishable. It will not die. It is undefiled. It will not get dirty or filthy or be ruined. It is unfading. It will not deteriorate or diminish. Uh, there won't be an inflation hit to it. 
and it is kept in heaven for you who are being kept by God until that day of salvation. By the way, kids, that's the memory verse for Backyard Bible Camp, if you want to get a head start on that. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. That's right. At Hope of Christ, we memorize entire sections. That brings us to the last one, the, tre- the treasure test, which is not a treasure chest, but the treasure test, which even when I practiced this morning, that was hard to say. So I'd urge you to go home and say treasure test at least seven times today. This isn't a warning as much as it's a fact of life. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. This is just reality. Where do you find yourself drifting when you have nothing else that you need to think about? What brings you comfort knowing that you have it? Or anxiety when you worry that you might lose it? Or might never get it. What in your life, if you lost it or never found it, would cause you to seriously question God's goodness? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I said there's these three negative commands. Don't be anxious. Don't be worried. Don't be afraid. Uh, I remember uh, when we were, I think it was before we even had kids, but a young couple in our lives, they were asking the pastor at one of our gatherings, uh, they said, is it, um, is it wrong to discipline your child for getting out of bed because they're scared of a thunderstorm? And the pastor, just without blinking, he said, uh, yes. <laughs> and then they both just kind of sheepishly looked at each other. They're like, oh, well, we messed that one up. <laughs> like, there are ways to say, don't be anxious, don't be worried, don't be afraid, that don't help. Like, as earthly parents, we do that a lot. As husbands, we do that a lot. I'm worried about this. Well, don't be. Oh, thanks. It's all better now. I'm anxious about this. Well, you don't have any control. Let's draw the Venn diagram that the pastor gave us. Doesn't help. Like God doesn't say, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't be afraid in a stop being afraid. He says, Don't be anxious. In fact, bring your anxiety to me. Philippians 4, 6-7, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your heart's It's an invitation. Bring me your anxieties. If that's not as clear, 1 Peter 5, 6-7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time He may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. 
Cast all your anxieties on God because it's sinful to be, to be anxious and you need to confess. No. Cast all your anxieties on God because He cares. He cares for you. Psalm 118, 5 and 6, Out of my distress I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord, your Father, is on your side. You do not need to be afraid. Don't be afraid, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Let's pray. You are our Father. Better than any impatient, imperfect, earthly father. Your patience is perfect. You invite us, woo us, call us, desire us to cast our anxieties on you because you care, because you are with us, because you are for us. This world is full of so many frightening things, God. Help us to bring our fears and our worries and our anxieties to you. Knowing that you delight to give us your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.